0: Hey there. Welcome to Cageless, a conversation podcast about experiential wisdom and personal hope. I'm Jenny Johnson. I'm a writer and I'm asking experts, thought leaders, and my friends to share their knowledge and tools on how they found freedom. Welcome to season one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Cageless. Today, our guest is the founder of Pool House New York, a lifestyle brand that focuses on art, mental health, and wellness. He's a writer and a poet. He obtains a JD from Columbia Law School and a BA from the University of San Diego. Holy heck, what an intro. Thank you, thank you. This is uh, my friend Andrew. Hi, Andrew. How are you today? Good.
1: Good. How's it going with you, Jenny?
0: Great. It's so great. Where are you right
1: now? Yeah, I'm in uh, sunny uh, California, Los Angeles to to be specific. Mm-hmm. I moved back out here, born and raised in Los Angeles, then went to law school obviously in New York, worked mm-hmm. as an attorney out there for a while, started Pool House New York when I was there, and then um, slowly gravitated more back towards uh, LA, wh- where I'm from.
0: Yes, as so many of us do. It's like uh, you never. So many people are like, oh, "I'm never gonna go home," or "I don't want to <laughs> end up." And it's like oh, so much of the time we end up back there. But right. um, cool. So so that's that was a little bit of a an, of a little bit of an overview. Andrew and I actually met in the as a lot of my friends lately have been um, in the <laughs> magical world of TikTok. Um, so shockingly enough. Andrew, how did you how did you get into that landscape?
1: In um, in the beginning, so when I left law, I didn't have too much of a too much of a concrete plan. I, I saved up a lot of money. I went in with the idea that I wasn't going to be an attorney forever, so mm-hmm. I was always like working on business ideas or some kind of thing to pivot out of law when I was in law school and as an attorney. And so I gave myself a runway to try to figure it out for like the first year. And so went about starting a business and really the only way to start a business is in in today's world. You got to get on social media. You got to figure out how to to market that unless you have a bunch of uh, money to pay for ads. And so I learned that landscape for a while Mm. and just figured out what I could offer the world besides law because I knew that I didn't want to be a lawyer. I made the decision actually not even to re- renew my license. I was just doubling down on the fact that I felt the urge to do something else. And I just was trying to figure out what could I offer the world Yeah. and testing all of that on social media because I was trying to figure out what do I want to make? What am I passionate about? But also what resonates with people because I think that's where we find our like real purpose in life. That's where we find real um, satisfaction because we're social beings. We can't just do things for ourselves. I think it's that, it's that finding that crossroad between what lights our fire and then lights other people's fires, I think.
0: Yeah. Oh, that's so good. Okay. So backtracking just like a little bit, um, how, because anyone, I will for sure be able to link all of, all of Andrew's work, but your talent is just so loud. It's it's. I- I'm curious <laughs> as to how the heck you got into something so stoic as law. W- was that like a dream as a kid?
1: Yeah, that's actually a great question. So, um, I'm Middle Eastern, and so the um, the uh, the story pretty much, or the way that you're raised, is that pretty much all of the males are supposed to become doctors, and so. I went to undergrad with the impression of becoming a physician eventually, mm-hmm. did all my pre-med classes, and then towards the end, I just came to the realization that I just really do not want to become a doctor, mm-hmm. and I just didn't want to live a life just because of what other people were were thinking. And so I was actually the very first male in my family not to become a doctor. Um, no way. And yeah, it was a big decision. I had to give my parents a lot of credit, too, because they were also the only... Parents in our entire family who was willing to let one of their kids not do that, so mm-hmm. I have to give them a lot of credit for that. Yeah. Um, and then I gave myself a year before I went to law school just to again to figure out what I what I wanted to do. I worked at some technology companies in San Diego and L.A. And then I always I always thought like becoming a lawyer sounded like an interesting profession and. But growing up, everyone told me, oh, you know, lawyers, there, there's so many of them. You can't really become a successful lawyer. That that's that was the story in my family, actually. And mm-hmm. I just said, I'm gonna give it a shot. I'm gonna try to get into the best law school I can get into mm-hmm. and see see what I can do with it, because I think it's interesting. I actually think the practice of law is very fascinating. Um, it's very analytical, it's logical, it's very philosophical in a way too. And I I fell in love with with law in school, but then As I started working as an attorney, I realized it's not as theoretical. It's not as as intellectually stimulating, the practice of it. Mm. A lot of this stuff is kind of set in stone. There could have been a life where I would have been an attorney. But as you can probably tell, a lot of things in my life, I felt a lot of pressure to be a certain person, right? Mm. Um, Whether it was to become a doctor, whether it was to... um, impress people by going to a certain law school. And then when I was in law school, I felt like, oh, I had to work at the best law firm. Because when you're at Columbia, it's kind of like high school in a way, because everybody is so focused on your law firm ranking. And then you're all wearing sweaters based on, oh, yeah, I met this law firm, blah, blah, blah. And you have like these little backpacks. And it's very clicky in that respect. So in the beginning, I was really Swayed to go to the best law firm I could get into, um, without taking into account what practice group I was getting into. Yeah, and got into a practice group that I just wasn't interested in. My law firm was amazing, though. I have to say, um, very, very nice people, but it just wasn't for me, and right. I had to come to to that conclusion. Um, what was the question again? Sorry, I feel like kind lost.
0: no. Stuff. That was great. I asked like how how you got into law, and like because it, oh, yeah. it seems like such a such an interesting like i said two very opposite ends of vocation can you tell me you said that how you were raised was very much it didn't it didn't really seem like you had a choice in terms of a job or a career what were you i'm i'm curious as to what you were like as a kid because i meet <laughs> you now and you seem like just the, just this like super smart empathetic peaceful presence that i've literally never met in real life but through a screen, this is this is what I'm taking in. What were you like as a kid?
1: I was really into to the arts. I think that there was always like an inner artist there, mm-hmm. but um, there wasn't any artists in my family, so I never thought that would be an actual profession. There was no one in right. the like the film industry. There's no one in the music industry. There's no. There was just no artists, and so there was mm-hmm. no good examples, and so I never thought that that was a path for me. Yeah. But as a kid, I was into drawing. I was into like music, skateboarding, especially filmmaking for the skateboarding I was doing with my friends, Mm -hmm. making even music. I remember in college, like making house music. I was really into that. So there was always this creative impetus um, inside of me, I think. Mm -hmm. And it just took a while for me to have the courage to pursue it.
0: Absolutely. And, you know, sometimes I've also noted that a lot of the the people that I've connected with um, and even like people that I look up to, it's not always a super linear line to like finding what you are meant to do. Um, I know so mm-hmm. many people that have like, what was it? Um, you know, how long did like Oprah Winfrey, how long was she not Oprah Winfrey? Like how long right. was Mark Cuban, <laughs> like not Mark Cuban? People that are really good at what they do. You kind of have to, um, you kind of have to troubleshoot a lot. And and that takes a lot mm. of I think self-reflection and a lot of Mm self-acceptance, which actually Andrew had posted this today and it just, oh my goodness, it spoke to my soul. (laughs) Um, He said, self-acceptance is challenging because you are constantly changing. There's a new person to accept every morning. This is scary because you have no idea whether the people in your life will love the new you. And this is where the problem lies. It is grounded in the inability to accept change. What have you had to accept about yourself to become who the person that you
1: are today? When 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 I was writing that especially, because um, I feel like I've changed so much over the years, especially with like relationships and putting on this certain facade that, okay, I'm this person, this corporate, this corporate person who's like into, who's on Wall Street, who's into finance and making a bunch of money and impressing a bunch of people and then real and going out at night and and trying to press people or meet people that way mm. and just realizing that maybe I'm not that person maybe I like to go to bed early and wake up and read in the morning you know right <laughs> right and that took me a long time to like I knew it and I accepted it but to actually have the impetus to be confident enough to turn down those invitations to pursue the life that I wanted which meant I had to give up some things Right. And accepting the fact that you can't be everything, Mm-mm. and there's nothing wrong with that. And by saying no to some things, you're giving value to the things that you do do. Mm-hmm. That's why they're important. Yeah, it's like nothing would matter if you could do everything.
0: That's so so true, and especially you know this can happen at any age, but especially in in your twenties, I have noted. That this treadmill of success and like wanting to be really, really good at something and then like wearing that something as an identity. And it's just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know about you, but it really hasn't served me as a person. I, I personally studied a couple of different things. I've worked in a couple of different um, vocations, and I'm just 26. And it's like there's there, I used to really, really, really wear that as like a, as like a failure complex. Um, but mm-hmm. I was having a conversation with my dad over Christmas break about how, how like, failure can only exist if you have an idea of success. So mm-hmm. you, you kind of have to figure out what success is to you. And mm-hmm. I, I think that if, you know, okay, COVID's already brought up what we're, like, 12 minutes in. Um, if, <laughs> if the past couple of years of, you know, really hard – really hardness in every single way. Like everyone has struggled in some sort of way, whether that is, you know, loss of a loved one, loss of yourself, loss of your job, whatever that is, it's so important to take a look at yourself and be like, what do I want? And like, who is this person that I'm creating, becoming, and what virtues do they follow? What values do they have? Because I'm, I'm so much the same way. I for the longest time was like yeah I'll go out or like yeah I'll do these kind of things and you know the like little inner me is like can we just please go put on our pajamas and, like go to bed? <laughs> but it's it's quite countercultural and and this mm-hmm. is not to say that you know if you if you do like to be super extroverted and you are like the Wall Street guy please be that person because like there's only one you in this universe right like there's only mm-hmm like you can only take up the space that you've been allotted. So it's mm. it's super cool and and I love getting to watch you online interact especially with everyone um everyone who kind of feels the same way that I've I've found so much camaraderie myself and people that are like, "Oh wait. Wait me too. But I just like didn't want to say it, but like yeah, so much same, you know."
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%. I think that's what's so cool about the internet is that you're able to me and you were able to have a conversation and we're not in the same place. Like, what are the odds that you're going to be physically located next to people who share similar mindset to you? Mm-hmm. Like, that's why I felt so caged in, in college and in high school, because it was just people who was in my physical proximity. Mm-hmm. But now with social media, we, we can connect with so many more people who actually maybe embody more of the things that we want to embody.
0: Right. Absolutely. Um, you, in, in the quote that we had just read off, you had mentioned about how it, the people in your life obviously are really important. You are the product of the five people that you spend the most time with. Who are the people in your life that you do physically get to see that you feel like actually like truly know you and accept you? And, and I mean, is that important to you to have those kind of people around?
1: 100%. I think like the biggest two would be my mom and my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, especially the past two years, our bonds have just become so much deeper. Like in the beginning, I'll be honest, it was it was hard. Um, our relationship wasn't the best. Mm. We fought a lot. But then, and especially me coming from New York, and I feel like so many people experience this, you get into meditation or mindfulness or you read a bunch of books and you feel like you're this peaceful person right now and then you go back to your family and you feel like you're going backwards. It's a whole and thing. And it's one of the most it's a whole thing and it's one of the most frustrating things because you want them to change with you, but what I realize is that you can't force people and that's just going to irritate you more. You can't force them to change, but by being that person, by surrounding by being around them and by being this new person, they're slowly going to change with you. They're gonna be inspired by you without you even doing anything purposefully. Right. Like I feel like my mom and my dad have changed so much these past two years since I've moved back. Not yeah. saying I was the only reason, but I feel like it was like a teamwork effort. You know, we we all three kind of helps each other mm-hmm. grow. Yes. Without having yeah.
0: <laughs> yes. Oh in in heavy is the head, you know what I mean? Like I'm not sure how um first you are in like generational trauma or, you know, generational generate anything that is like generational in terms of things that aren't good for you. Um, but the work that you, you've done, you know, you've, you're choosing to do of like learning about emotional health, mental health, physical health, you know, all of these different types of health. This has been going on since the beginning of your lineage, right? So if like there's any toxic part of you you bleed the same blood as your parents, so obviously they're probably going to be feeling a lot of the things that you are wanting to work on as well. Um, I've you know kind of found the same same way that um, leading by example is just it's just first of all it's easier because you don't have to like sit on a or like stand on a soapbox and be like <laughs> these are the things that I've learned and like you need to learn these things too because they want freedom just as much as you do but like you mm-hmm. you're the one that's like kind of leading the way which is an interesting thing because like what has your relationship so you're saying that your relationship has gotten better with your parents um how has that kind of shifted from like the parent to the friend yeah. has that has that been really difficult
1: it's been really natural to be honest it's mm-hmm. kind of just happened without even like trying it's just in the i mean it's hard too because your parents are always going to think of you as the as their kid. Mm. But once you just, once they, I mean, eventually they're going to realize as long as you mature yourself, as long as you're putting in the work to, to become a more mature person, it's hard not to see that yeah. from the parents' end, I think. yeah, And then it slowly becomes that friendship just naturally.
0: Right. Absolutely. So we're, t- we're talking about practices and, and influence. Andrew, what are a couple of the things that if you if you could give me a couple of the things that have really helped you in this growth journey of yours, um, if they're books, if they're podcasts, if they're practices, what what's kind of your um, you know what was the launching pad?
1: Yeah, the very first launching pad probably would have been meditation when when I was a lawyer, mm-hmm. and for the longest time I put it off because I thought it was going to take my edge off. Like I didn't need meditation. Mm -hmm. Um, Lawyers don't need it, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but then I, I I don't even know who was the person that convinced me, but I just heard this one story of this investment banker who was going through this very like lonely kind of like lost time in his life where he just didn't have any motivation to do the work he was doing. And Mm -hmm. he just felt like he was washing through life. And I'm like, that's how I feel. And he said that meditation really helped him. So I thought, okay, what is, uh, (laughs) I don't have anything to lose, so I might as well try it. And then practiced, um, went on YouTube, listened to some podcast, got recommended some teachers and found a couple that, a couple of them where their voices resonated with me. And I think it's important. Mm -hmm. There isn't one, if I tell you who I like, it's not necessarily the best one for you. And I think it's important to find someone who's, voice and tonality and cadence resonates with you. That's
0: so good.
1: (laughs) Yeah, and I I found a couple of those voices and they they helped me in the beginning. And I kind of, um, I think it's really important in the sense that you don't constantly need new books. You don't need a new meditation. For me personally, I read some of the same books constantly. I read, listen to some of the same podcasts over and over again. Mm. And I find myself learning so much each time. Couple voices, I guess that that have really helped me. Um, David White probably had one of the most like profound impacts on me. He's this mm-hmm. Irish poet uh, and um, philosopher, mm-hmm. and his voice it, it was always just so um, so magical and so inspiring. And I feel like like my my, um, my voice is kind of like a medley of him and Neil Gaiman. Those are probably the two voices that resonate the most with me. Good ones. There's something about it. Yeah, there's something about both of them. And I'm inspired by the way they talk. And in the beginning, when you try to find your voice, you know, so often, um, you're like, oh, what I what, what do I want to say? And I think a lot of the time you only find your voice after sounding like other people. So like I read David White's books and Neil Gaiman's books mm-hmm. over and over again and tried to figure out how did they write things how are they talking? Like, what was the cadence? When when did they stop talking? Um, when did they repeat things? And eventually I just, I don't read their work too much anymore. I feel like it's just kind of a part of me now. Yeah. And I think yeah. when you come into your own, you stop relying on those voices and you just, it comes from a different place.
0: Right. Right. Which I I know that I can speak on behalf of a lot of people that you are, that you're a, a a great voice on so many people's screens and and bookshelves that it's really, really important to, as you said, find people, find thought leaders, find authors, find people that they can definitely challenge you, but also don't lead you in, in the way that you, um, that like goes against the grain of your soul. Right. Like Mm -hmm. I am probably not going to listen to (laughs) someone like (laughs) super, hyper one side or the other or someone that's like led by hate or someone that Mm -hmm. doesn't have a great track record so i think that it's so important to know what kind of filter that you are running what what Mm -hmm. kind of intelligence and like things that you're wanting to listen to um because what you listen to and what you watch has more impact than i think young people really understand um Mm -hmm. because if you just start to take note of like how did I feel after I watched that? Or like, how did I feel even after I read that or after I hung out with this specific person? Um, and mm-hmm. having that like emotional and like mental uh capability to be like, this is, this is kind of going against me or like, this is, this is mm-hmm. making me feel better. Um, your audience is quite catered towards, uh, I would, I love to call them zillennials. So like between Gen Z yeah. and like millennial, so, like, 20s, 30s, we're all just trying to figure it out here. Um, mm-hmm. Why is it important to you that we are figuring at, figuring it out in, in terms of, like, hope? Because your message is so catered towards, like, light versus dark. Why is that mm-hmm. important to you?
1: I think, um, especially lately with this generation, I see a lot of um, – people going into, like, especially, like, philosophy, but, like, especially, like, nihilism, thinking, like, oh, nothing really matters. Mm-hmm. And um, I think it's so important to to have hope and some kind of purpose behind the things you do because it allows you to persevere. Like, if you think mm-hmm. that this is going to make you stronger, then it will make you stronger. Like, if you think that there's, like, a, like a lesson to be learned from this, that you're going to grow from it, then that will happen. Yeah. And unless you have that hope, I don't think... Um, you're not as capable as getting to, to like leaving this world better than you found. And I think it's so important that we try to do that. I feel like everyone wants that goal, obviously. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's the best way to get there? Should we think that nothing matters? Or maybe, maybe the other way, which I kind of lean more towards.
0: Absolutely. And, And yeah, no, I think, well, I think that it's, it's really cool to have a, have a voice, you know into the abyss that's like not agnostic because it it's so mm-hmm. I'm I don't know about you but I'm like tired of of like cool culture like I don't want to be yeah. cool like I want to be myself
1: <laughs> it's such an important distinction i know for the longest time i wanted to be cool but i realized it's not cool to be cool
0: no it's not cool in fact i think it's really boring because you mm-hmm. know i can only speak for myself um not for like anyone at large but I wore this mask for so long especially growing up where I did very different from Los Angeles but it was like I'm going to make all of these check marks like being from the south it was like you know you're supposed to you know have a family you're supposed to be you know practice this certain kind of faith you're supposed to look this certain way and it's so much easier to just to continue to follow that script instead of being someone who breaks it. But I have mm-hmm. also found that you – when you break the script, it gives other pe- people permission to break their script too. And mm-hmm. when you can break those things up, how much more – this is, this sounds so like woo-woo, but like how much more beautiful is the world? Like when – because if we all looked the same, no one – first of all, mm. it wouldn't be any fun. Second of all, I feel like it would really mess up like the ecosystem, Right. Um yeah. and I'm I'm such an advocate for obviously hope and, and light and things that have meaning. Um is there anything that you have noted like in our generation other than this this like very like nihilistic agnostic note um that you that you like just really don't agree with? Like do you have any like deep disagreances? Because I know I see so much stuff on TikTok that I'm yeah. like
1: why did so you say much, that? <laughs> like, I think that there's this one. Like, it's hard to put this into words, but mm. there's so many people who just think that everything's from within, right? You know, mm. like you only owe something to yourself, mm. and they forget the other half. It's like we're social creatures. You got to also think about other people's mm. opinions. Yes. Um, and not not opinions, but like. About like what kind of impact you're having on them, and mm-hmm. be courteous to them. Don't live your whole life based on what other people think, but <laughs> you have to care about other people too. Mm-hmm. And that there's this one thing that I don't know if you've noticed. I talked to a couple of my friends about it, but I noticed with a lot of younger people, the fact that they just like don't respond to things for like weeks on end, and then randomly will like text you or like message you. I'm like this is like, this isn't like, a, first of all, 10 business days, like that's not even okay in business. like, And it comes from this thing where I don't know, I feel like a lot of the messaging too, especially in the, the people who I think talk about like the mindfulness or meditation very one-sidedly, they always say everything's from within, right? Like everything you need is inside of you. But I think, People are also a reflection of you. Your world is a reflection of you. Mm -hmm. And you have to respect that.
0: Yeah. Well, it's almost like a – I call it like selfie culture. Like the fact that it's 2022 (laughs) and we have a term called selfie. Um, Everything is about yourself. And I think that it, it has to come from a place of humility to be able to say, actually, I don't know the answer to that. But I think I know someone who mm. does, and I think I'm going to I'm going to have the courage to be able to ask that question. I have also yeah. noticed with a lot of, you know, I have a, a range of friends, or at least I try to in terms of of age and, and gender identity and race um, and class and a lot of my younger friends, at least very much take on this you know i can change the world like i'm superwoman i'm superman i don't need help from anyone i don't need reciprocation mm-hmm. from this relationship i don't need help in this area and and i really don't know when it got cool to not ask for help because i right. know that i'm i'm absolutely guilty of this like i'm not <laughs> i'm not pointing the finger but it is d- doesn't it just make more sense like when we can help one another
1: Mm-hmm. That was one of the hardest things for me to learn, especially when I when I left law, I was so adamant that I could do everything on my own mm-hmm. and it held me back for so long. And once I reached out and brought someone else onto my team, like I actually was able to accomplish things. Like,
0: mm-hmm. Isn't it crazy?
1: <laughs> yeah, it's crazy. But I mean, it seems obvious now, but I think you really need to like experience what it's like to do everything on your own and then realize you can't do it. Yep. Because it seems obvious now, but I think a lot of things you really need to – the the truths are buried so deep inside of us and we really need to just like chip away at all the the dirt and right. the junk that's covering it up, I think.
0: Right. And, and I think that especially in like our 20s and 30s, it's like experiential knowledge can really only exist out of hard experiences and like learning the mm-hmm. hard way because like I've burnt my hand on – the same stove several different times, but it it just takes like, oh, the seventh mm-hmm. time. Oh, something <laughs> like really clicked in me maybe to not keep doing that.
1: Um, yeah.
0: Which is, as you had mentioned, um, working, you know, as an attorney and, and being able to be like, maybe I need some help. You built Pool House, which anyone who's listening to this um, has probably looked into or seen, uh, if I had to guess, if not, I'm I'm giving you like your entire afternoon. Like you're gonna go scroll through his entire his <laughs> entire Instagram and TikTok. What what gave you the um? I, I get yeah. What gave you the like launching pad to start Pool House? And did you do it alone?
1: The yeah, I mean, in the beginning, so. In the very beginning, I got the Instagram handle when I was in law school. And it was always the idea to create this this place where creatives in like New York City could come together and meet each other and hang out without having to go to a club. That was always like the original concept. Mm-hmm. But then I had a, a partner with that, and we just had different ideas. And so it dissipated. And I still have the handle. And it really resonated with me, the name. Mm-hmm. because I was into meditation and this concept of yin and yang. And and for me, the name was always kind of this way to blend California and New York without actually saying California and New York. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's always been a running theme, um, yin and yang with everything I write about. You can't have like the, the good days without the bad days. Mm-hmm. You can't have love without the inevitable heart, heartbreak. And, and for a long time, yeah, I, I tried to do it on my own because of the first experience of it not coming together, but you can't hold yourself back just because of something that didn't work out in the past, right? You can't just, you can't write that off completely as something that's not for you, just from one or two or even three experiences. That's right. Yeah, you have to be open to the fact that people can change and that you changed and maybe it could be a better time. And being open to second chances, I think, is right. really important.
0: Yes. Yes. Oh my gosh. Can we cancel cancel culture? That is what I would <laughs> yeah. love to do. It's like, when did we get uh-huh. to the point where like forgiveness is just un- non-existent? You know, like mm-hmm. giving people chances. And and I do think we, we can take this with a grain of salt. I do believe that abuse can be perpetualized because of chances. But in, mm-hmm. in, in terms that aren't as um, fierce, it's really okay um, I think first of all to practice second chances with yourself, and and mm-hmm. and when you get that sense of self and that sense of acceptance, then you can start to kind mm-hmm. of reciprocate reciprocate that with other people. Um, I love that that you decided to make you know this about like New York and L.A. like yin and yang. What do you feel like has been the most difficult um, subject to learn? You know the hot and the cold mm-hmm. from.
1: There's a lot of things. The first one, probably, that's coming to mind, and this is something that I've been working on lately, I I signed up for an acting class because I felt like it would kind of help me become, Mm -hmm. and one of the things I've been working on the most is my tendency to people please. Because growing up, I always was under the notion that I needed everybody to like me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> yep.
1: Because you never wanted to upset anyone in the business world, and especially attorneys. My goodness, yeah. that is the one where no one will ever say anything bad about anybody. Mm. <laughs> and been really trying to unlearn that, while at the same time being considerate of people and not yeah. being um, not being callous.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well. Yeah. It's really difficult to to find like. Softness and hardness and, and you know, like being able to look into yourself but then also look into other people or mm-hmm. like you had also mentioned like love and heartbreak, which I would I, – I really thought oh, that, that you were going to say love and hate, but I love that you drew the conclusion of love and heartbreak because mm-hmm. I I kind of don't think that, that love and hate have to exist in conjunction to one another because mm-hmm. heartbreak itself <laughs> – feels like hate. It feels terrible for anyone who hasn't yeah. had their heart broken. Buckle up, buttercup. It's going to happen eventually. Yeah. But what has been the most difficult lesson that you've learned in terms of love and heartbreak?
1: I mean, just realizing that there is no worthwhile life without heartbreak, mm. you know, um, like whether the phrase is it's better to have love than to, to have never loved at all. But I think what heartbreak is, it's just The fact that you love something so much and you having to let it go and so it's coming from like the best place like this most painful place is also coming from the best place Mm. and you have to let go of of everything like everything we do is finite like every time we hang out with someone spend time with a loved one that's one less time we're gonna hang out with that person yeah and just remembering that um that is heartbreaking and it's hard to make yourself vulnerable to really care about people Mm -hmm. knowing that they're gonna whether whether you're in a relationship and you're breaking up with someone or whether it's a family member that eventually passes you got to you got to realize that you can't like not like fall in love with that person and the experiences and the moments with them um just because you're afraid of getting your heart broken at the end yeah
0: yeah i know i have definitely learned that lesson the hard way being a product of this generation like we mm-hmm. were we were talking about it's it's cool like not to care it's like, it's like oh, it's the norm to not communicate. It's the norm to play it cool. But mm-hmm. I'm kind of tired of it because I have so much love in my chest and like emotions yeah. and, and not just love. Like you're allowed to express frustration. Like you are allowed to express um, joy. You are allowed yeah. to express anything because as um, I believe Glennon Doyle says it, the goal isn't to feel good all of the time mm-hmm. the goal is to feel everything and okay. I think that I'm not sure if it's like maybe you can help me out on this if it's like a, a Buddhist thought um of like the metaphor of like the butterfly that like any person mm-hmm. place situation that like you you are encountering is like a butterfly that like lands on your hand and if you close it it's crushed right like you just broke the the butterfly and you can't have it anymore but like keeping it open and like giving Life, the opportunity to come and go. You Mm -hmm. just, I've, I have personally found so much more, more freedom in living that
1: way. Yeah, hundred percent. That's what I kind of. When you like asked me beforehand about like emotional awareness, that's one of the things that I've learned the most of the years is the Mm -hmm. fact that you shouldn't avoid the emotions, whether it's anger or sadness. You should let yourself experience it, and then move forward. I, th- I think another important thing is just to realize that because it, it's a hard balance because some people, they'll they'll get lost in it and they'll become consumed in the, the suffering, the pain, mm-hmm. and you got to realize, okay, I don't want to not feel it. I'm going to allow myself to feel it, but I also need to have the impetus to move forward and act yeah. because I think a lot of the times action is the first step to, to, to feeling better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's another reason, you know, why it's really important to have people around um, that want to lift you up, not people that want mm-hmm. to push you down or push you in a direction that you're not really wanting to go in. I wonder, what does that kind of freedom mean to you? Like, what what um, what is your definition of emotional freedom?
1: I'm going to be honest. My answer is a little contradictory, but I think real freedom is the ability to give up that freedom. Mm -hmm. Because when I grew up, I I studied abroad in a bunch of places. I moved around a lot, whether it was to San Diego or to New York or, you know, studying abroad in Turkey or going on a semester at sea. And what I realized as I got older is that it's a lonely life to be that free and to be traveling everywhere. And as I got older, I kind of want to give up that freedom. I want to have some roots here, you know, Mm -hmm. okay. (laughs) <laughs> to, to, to develop a community that will make it hard to leave. And in, in the grand scheme of things, maybe that looks a little less free, but it's the fact that I had the freedom to give it up in that respect to, to create certain bonds that I don't wanna just freely throw away. Right. I think that's the, the, the greatest thing that we could do with, um, or the most fulfilling thing we could do with our freedom.
0: That's so true. It's all about choice. It's all about freedom of the choice. And I think that Mm -hmm. I I love that you've experienced so much in your life. Um, So you have very much been (laughs) able to to go and try and see. And then also kind of, you know, you can like framework your life however you want. Like I feel like that's kind of what, what people our age are needing the permission slip for. It's like, oh no, honey, if you, like, want to stay in your hometown and, like, you'd like to do this and you'd like mm-hmm. to do all of the things that, like, your parents or whoever, the culture, like, whatever has wanted you to do, do it. Just also be aware that you have other options. Like, choose a mm-hmm. life that's, like, catered towards what your soul is, like, wanting and, like, yearning mm-hmm. for because that's 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 what being caged in is, I think. I think that mm-hmm. – um, that you can really be suppressed to a point where, where you look at yourself in the mirror and you're like, who am I? Because, like, mm-hmm. I knew who I, like, wanted to be when I was, like, five because they ask you, what do you want to be? Oh, I want to be an astronaut. Or, oh, I want to be the president of the United States. Or, oh, like, I want to be a baker. You know, all of all of these things that we had at, at the baseline mm-hmm. of who we were can just get, like, bombarded because I, I really think that you're the product of the, of the people and the places that you've been. So just having the opportunity to give yourself permission to choose wisely um and even mm-hmm. if you don't choose wisely if 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 the good Lord blesses you with another day to wake up it's another day to start like it's another day <laughs> to try something new um mm-hmm. and I think that you've you've done such a such a great job at that um poolhouse I know for me at least like it's so important to put things on your screen especially when we have these devices attached to our hands most of the time <laughs> it's really important to put things that speak life into you and like speak mm-hmm. hope and goodness and so thank you like I'll, I'll just take this opportunity to say thank you for for running Poolhouse house and, and creating a platform and collective in a community for people who don't necessarily have that in their backyard
1: you're so welcome. Yeah. I mean, it's my pleasure sharing this stuff. I'm happy that it resonates with people. That's always the, um, the most, uh, fulfilling part of it. The fact that you're connecting with somebody else, the fact that mm. somebody else, you realizing that someone else shares the same opinions as you is the coolest thing.
0: Isn't it? It's like, because there is so much, um, camaraderie in like, oh, I hate this person. Like, yeah, I hate them too. Or like, oh, I dislike this, but I just think it's so much stronger to not, don't like, don't share your pet peeves, like show your loves. Like what's stronger than that? Um, Mm -hmm. so Andrew, as we are coming to a close with our time together, um, a question that we ask on the Cages podcast is if you could tell your younger self anything, if you were in (laughs) the room with Mm -hmm. younger Andrew today, what would you tell him?
1: I think that's a, a really great question. And I mean, Everything I say, there's always a, like, there's so many, like, I think life is a contradiction. Mm-hmm. So what I'm going to say right now, I do, there are things I would want to tell him because there are things that I do regret. But mm-hmm. at the same time, I realize that younger me needed to make those mistakes and there's probably no other way he would have made them, right? Like, even if, even if I became an artist from the beginning, like after high school, let's say, I guarantee that I would have quit being an artist and then gone into the corporate world because I would have thought it was easier and That's then right. realized, oh, wait, actually, the creative world is better for me. I'm going to go back to that. Mm-hmm. So, but even with that in mind, I think it's important to admit the mistakes you've made and to admit that you wish you could have done it differently so you can move forward. Yeah. And w- what I always, like, think about this is because people, there's so often people say, I don't have any regrets in my life. Um, I, do. <laughs> I, I, know, do. I, I do. I know, I do. And there's nothing wrong with that. No. Like, um, imagine, imagine the, like, the doctor or the lawyer who didn't spend time with his kid growing up, you know? Mm-hmm. And, like, it feels really bad about that and wishes he, he could go back. Do you think that person should have no regrets? Or maybe by admitting that you wish things could have been differently, maybe he can spend a bit more time with his his son and then his grandchild, you know, and try to really yeah. savor those moments. And unless you admit that you made a mistake and you wish it could have been differently, I think it's hard to make the future better. Yeah. So yeah, with that in mind, I would want to tell Younger Me to to follow your intuition, to follow your heart, and to not be so adamant about following a specific path, about impressing certain people, not that people's opinions doesn't matter because we're social creatures, but just having the courage to follow your intuition. But with that in mind, I know that the only way to learn that is by not following mm-hmm. your intuition mm-hmm. and seeing where that leads you.
0: Mm-hmm. Live your life and you will find yeah. out. <laughs> yeah. Yes, oh, Andrew. Well, thank you so much. What a fruitful conversation we got to have today. Why don't you you give us your pitch? Tell us Tell us where we can find you.
1: Yeah, so on Instagram and on TikTok, Pool House New York. And then I have a um newsletter com, and a podcast. Yeah, figuring out with Andrew on Spotify mm-hmm. and Apple.
0: Yes. Which like please do all of those things. He also you didn't mention this, <laughs> but you also have like a, an advice column on your on like attached yeah. to your to your Substack, which is so good and I highly recommend oh, thank that. You. So Thank you so much. Um, yeah, of course. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew, for taking time to, to talk to me and and allow others to listen. And everyone who's listening, we appreciate you. We love you. And uh, we'll see you next time on Cageless. If you enjoyed or learned anything from today's episode, I want to hear from you. Shoot me a text or call to 903-871-5092. It's completely free and anonymous if you choose. You can also shoot me an Instagram DM that's in the show notes or follow along with the Cageless newsletter. And don't forget to be kind to yourself today.